home improvements, home renovations, home maintenance, home repairs, and all the other challenges of home ownership. Welcome to the Thumb and Hammer Home Improvement Podcast. Greetings, folks. My name is Doug, and welcome to another action-packed episode of the Thumb and Hammer Home Improvement Podcast. This is my first episode back after a long break, so today I'm going to be talking about a few different things. I don't have a single topic or theme, really. It's going to be more of a mishmash of ideas, things that you may find useful or interesting. So, let's start with what's new at Shea Thumb and Hammer. Once the weather broke in the spring last year, I decided it was time to do a little plumbing work in the garage. There is a tap inside the garage for a garden hose, and we use that hose for washing cars in the driveway, among other things. Well, that tap was leaking, and I certainly don't want water inside the garage, especially when that garage is becoming a woodworking shop. So, changing that tap was on my list of priorities for quick DIY projects that could be completed in a day or less. Now, the nice thing with some stores like Home Depot and Lowe's and Canadian Tire is that you can go online, find what it is that you're looking for, see how much it costs, and even see how many are in stock and where in the store that stock is located. You can even order it online and pick it up in the store. But in my experience, that process actually seems to take longer than just going directly to the aisle and picking it up myself. Now, as efficient as this type of shopping has become, I have learned that it isn't a substitute for human knowledge. Searching the Home Depot website for this tap proved to be a very frustrating experience. This is one for the what's in a name file. I searched for tap, an outdoor tap, and did not get the results I was looking for. I tried outdoor faucet and hose faucet without any luck either. And just searching for faucet returned all kinds of bathroom and kitchen fixtures, as you might imagine. Then I remembered. Current code requires what is called a frost-free hydrant. That's a contraption where the tap is on the outside of the wall, but the stem extends into the conditioned space inside the house. And that's where the actual valve is located. So when you shut off the tap, the water is stopped while it is still inside the house. Sure enough, the search for a frost-free hydrant gave me the exact result I expected for that search. But here's the thing. We have an older house and we already have a shut-off valve inside. So we don't need a frost-free hydrant. And I would have had to reconfigure the existing plumbing in order to install it. That would have been opening up a can of worms that I did not really want to open. At least the search term returned the result I expected, even if it wasn't what I needed. Well, maybe. What about just hydrant? We'll search for hydrant. Nope, not that either. 
I know, um, hose bib, hose bib. And that still wasn't quite what I was looking for. And just searching the word bib brought up all kinds of coveralls. The actual term for what I was looking for was silcock. I actually knew that at one time, but wow, it took me a while before I was reminded of that name. And sure enough, when I searched for silcock, I found exactly what I was looking for. The moral of this story is simply that knowing the proper terminology makes life a whole lot easier when you are searching online. Of course, I could have gone into a hardware store and said that I was looking for an outdoor tap thingy. And the customer service person would have said, oh, you mean Silcock? Or at least they would have figured out what it was that I was talking about. Follow me. They're right over here. And that, my friends, is the advantage of dealing with a human being rather than researching from behind a keyboard. So now I have a new Silcock in the garage. And this one doesn't leak. And neither does the one in the backyard since I replaced that one at the same time. Speaking of researching from behind a keyboard, last year I bought my first new tool in years. We're not talking about a lot of money here. This was not exactly a big investment, but I wanted to make sure that I spent that money wisely. After all, we are still in penny-pinching mode around here. For 20 years, I have been using a Makita quarter-sheet palm sander. And it's been okay for what I've needed it for, but a random orbit sander would be so much better, especially when I get into actual woodworking. Since I will someday be working my way through Steve Ramsey's weekend woodworker course, and a random orbit sander is on the list of required tools, I figured that this was as good an excuse as any to go out and buy one. I was looking in the $100 range. Now remember, I'm talking about Canadian dollars here, so prices are going to sound higher than they would be in the U.S. I basically dismissed the less expensive models, and I was looking at DeWalt and Bosch and others of that ilk. But those were actually the two brands that I was leaning towards, DeWalt and Bosch. And really, when you read the reviews online... Most sanders in that price range are fairly identical as far as owner satisfaction goes. So it was really a toss-up. And I'm not loyal to any particular brand. I don't care what color my tools are. I have a DeWalt hammer drill and a Bosch router, and I can't find fault with either brand based on those two tools. And then the DeWalt went on sale. The DeWalt Random Orbit Sander was now $10 less than its Bosch counterpart. And, well, $10 is $10, right? The Bosch was the better buy, right? Well, not so fast. Both sanders come with either a dust collector bag or a canister. However, if you want to attach a vacuum hose for dust collection, both require an adapter. The adapter is included with the Bosch. 
The DeWalt adapter is sold separately and runs about $25 to $30 Canadian. Now, which is the better buy? Well, of course, that's going to depend on whether I actually ever use the vacuum attachment, but you get my point. That was in the spring. Spring turned into summer, and summer turned to fall, and as the weather cooled, I decided that it was finally time to dive into Steve Ramsey's weekend woodworker course. I mean, I signed up for this thing a couple years ago. (laughs) Finally, it was time to start working on it. And the first step was to build the basic mobile workbench, or BMW. At least I could say that I had a BMW in my garage, right? So I'm working on this workbench. And I've got the legs and the frame assembled, and it's all coming together nicely. I'm cutting the three-quarter inch plywood on my more than... 20-year-old Trademaster contractor saw. It's a little awkward because I don't have an outfit table, but it's going okay. I'm cutting a 4 by 4 foot piece of plywood in half. And as I near the end of the cut, I reach over, I shut off the saw. The spinning blade slows to a stop, but it still has just enough momentum to finish the cut. I slide the one piece back onto the table as I hold on to the cutoff piece and gently allow gravity to take the other end of it to the floor. So now it's leaning against the table saw. I place the cut piece to the side, it's ready for assembly, and I retrieve the cutoff in order to cut some more pieces from it. Okay. I go to start the saw up again. Nothing happens. It doesn't fire up. And that's when I realized that the cutoff had actually hit the power cord and pulled the plug out from the outlet. <sighs> I plug the saw back in and I start it up. Except now it doesn't start with a like it normally does. Instead, it starts with a that doesn't sound right. I immediately turn it off. I'm not sure exactly what's wrong, so I check the blade. It hasn't come loose, so that's not it. I check the belt. It hasn't come off. I move the belt. The blade moves. The pulley on the motor moves. It seems to all be working. I'm at a loss at this point. So, now with the saw out of commission, I retire to the house and start doing some research online. My thought is that the motor is probably kaput. I mean, the saw is 20 years old. It hasn't got that much use in 20 years. It's kind of been bounced around a little bit. But, you know, let's face it. It's an offshore import. So maybe the quality wasn't that great to begin with. I don't know. But I figured that the motor is probably kaput. And I know nothing about small motor repair. So I'm in the house. I'm looking up repair shops. but. It's after 5 o'clock on a Saturday, and they all seem to be closed at this time. So I think, you know, let's check Kijiji. Maybe I can grab a used motor. Surely some of these saws are still around. 
if I can snag a motor for under a hundred bucks, that's probably not much more than I would spend to repair the one that I had. So I'm perusing the listings on Kijiji and I come across a table saw that looks like it's a pretty good deal. It's an older Delta, but the fence on it looks impressive as heck. So I'm trying to find out what I can about this particular saw. I'm doing some more research. This saw was made in the USA, not in Taiwan, not in China. So that's a definite selling point. And the fence was a Delta Unifence, which is a definite upgrade, in my opinion, over my aftermarket AccuSquare fence. So I contact the seller and arrange to look at it the next day. Now, this saw needs some work. There are some alignment issues. There's some surface rust. The saw has seen its better days. And I spent a lot of time contemplating the purchase. But I eventually decided to pull the trigger. I gave the guy a down payment, and I take part of the saw home with me, planning to return a week later to complete the purchase. So now I have the fence and the extension table in my garage, and now I have to get my saw out of the way. I figure I can at least take it to a recycler or something like that, maybe get a few bucks for it that way. Easier than trying to sell a saw that's not working. But for now, I'm just going to take it apart and move it into our storage unit. And it was during that disassembly that I diagnosed exactly what was wrong with it. I had a screw loose. Seriously. There's a little set screw on the pulley wheel that engages with a slot on the shaft of the motor so that the spinning shaft will turn the pulley wheel, which turns the belt, which turns the blade. Well, that little set screw was loose, so the spinning shaft did not turn the pulley wheel. That was it. That was all that was wrong. Just had to tighten up that screw so it engaged again. I think that's all that was wrong. But at this point, I had the saw half apart, and I don't really want to put it back together at this point to test it because I'd already agreed to buy the other saw. And I'm a man of my word. It wouldn't have been fair for me to back out of that deal. So that's how I ended up with a new-to-me Delta table saw that I am in the middle of restoring. In the short term, I am going to sell one of the saws. I'm just not sure which one at this point. Because I don't have the room and I want to get all our stuff out of storage. But eventually, the goal is a saw stop. So whatever saw I keep now will eventually be sold as well. But yeah, if I had known to check that little set screw, I could have saved myself $250. Dumbassery comes at a price. Now, let's switch gears and return inside the house. I believe that I have mentioned that we have a brand new 4K 55-inch LED TV that is sitting downstairs still in the box. That hasn't changed. It is still downstairs in the box. In fact, this particular TV is no longer brand new. It is 
four years old now, and it was discontinued years ago. But that's beside the point. The point is, the previous owner had their TV hanging over the fireplace, and it was our plan to do the same. We just never quite got around to hanging it. And at one point, with the fireplace on, it's a gas fireplace, you see, I held my hand about where the TV would be hanging. And it got just a wee bit warmer than I would like to subject delicate electronics to. Our fireplace has a problem. There is no mantle. There is nothing to direct heat away from whatever is hanging above it. The fireplace around is this stone veneer stuff that should have been installed horizontally, but instead was installed vertically from floor to ceiling. It's an interesting look that my wife likes, but it makes installing a mantle virtually impossible. I went around to various fireplace stores to see if there was some sort of shield or deflector or something that could be retrofitted to the firebox, but they looked at me like I was nuts. I even showed them an example that I found online for about 150 bucks. Oh, we don't have anything like that, but we have this mantle that costs over $2,000. Yeah, that was frustrating. Well, for the last year and a half, we have had our smaller 37-inch TV temporarily on a coffee table in front of the fireplace. Temporarily. For the last year and a half. Yeah, you heard me. (laughs) Now, my wife really likes the fireplace, but we have not been able to use it. And I was really looking forward to the 55-inch TV. We haven't been able to use that either. So back in December, my wife and I were talking and tried to figure out what to do. And we agreed that probably our best course of action was to get rid of the wall surrounding the fireplace now and build something else. And include a mantle. Or maybe just have the fireplace half the height of the wall and the TV recessed above that. Anyway, we kind of agreed on the look that we were going for, and we kind of agreed on some sort of built-in shelves on either side. And we kind of agreed that this was maybe not going to be the best project for me to take on myself. You know, fireplace, gas line, debris, The fact that a weekend project takes me months or even years to finish. We agreed that we should probably hire a contractor. So we talked to one. The owner of the company came out to the house, saw what we were dealing with, and after laughing about the vertical stone, the way it was installed, he said they would come up with a couple of ideas for us. I asked him for a ballpark figure, and he said that we'd be looking at about $3,000 for something that was half the height of the wall. And the price, of course, would go up from there if we went full height and if we had built-in shelving. But our starting point was about $3,000. Well, $3,000 I might be able to work with. I could always build some shelves myself, don't need those right away. Maybe we could splurge and have the built-ins built for us? I don't know. I, I was 
I was excited to see what this guy was going to come up with. Well, what he came up with had a starting price of more than $3,000 plus tax. Uh, Our harmonized sales tax in Ontario amounts to 13%. So, you know, prices sound good until you add the tax on and then it kind of gets expensive. With built-ins, we were looking at about, holy crap, $10,000. And that didn't include any electrical work. There is just no way. Not right now, at least. I am thinking that this is going to end up being a DIY project down the road after all. But right now, it's just not a high priority. There are other things that we need to spend money on first. So, our small TV remains in front of the fireplace. Maybe I'll hang the large TV above the fireplace. We're not using the fireplace now anyway. While we're on the topic of money, here is one from the holy crap, did we make the right decision file. Since we bought this house four years ago, real estate values in our subdivision have gone crazy. They actually went a little nuts a few months after we moved in, and they have showed no signs of coming down. A house similar to ours hit the market last year. It is the same style, close to the same square footage. The lot may be a little bigger. There's some of the interior finishes are newer, but if you were looking for a comp for our house, this one fits the bill. Well, it was listed at just over 50, 50 50% more than what we paid for our house three years ago. And it sold for about 16% over ask. And it sold within a week. In fact, the houses in our subdivision are regularly listed at 30 to 50% more than they would have been four years ago. And houses in our real estate market often sell for over the asking price. And nothing remains on the market very long. So now, at least on paper, we have recovered the amount that we lost when we sold the money pit house in four years. Maybe in today's market, we would have been able to break even on the money pit house if we did the addition and the garage like we planned. But we would have had to spend another $100,000 to make that happen. So we are definitely in a better position today than we would have been otherwise. Even in the middle of the COVID-19 pandemic, real estate values have been stable in our area and the houses that have hit the market have sold quickly. And if or when the bubble bursts, we're going to be no worse off than when we bought this house. Everything's coming up Millhouse. And while we're on the topic of the Money Pit House, The new owner has done what we were not able to do ourselves. 
the old addition that we wanted to tear down and rebuild has been torn down and rebuilt, replaced with a gorgeous new addition. The garage that I wanted to build in the fall after we first bought that house. Well, there is now a two and a half car attached garage on that property. Dude is living the dream. He's living my dream, damn it. It's a weird feeling watching someone else take the steps that we were not able to take in over 12 years, but more power to him, I guess. I only wish that I'd been invited to swing a sledgehammer during the demolition of the edition. Just for the symbolism. Just for the closure. What is really interesting is how different his renovation is from what our vision was. Quite frankly, it's absolutely amazing. The curb appeal is off the charts. And with the surge in property values in the area, he's doing okay. As are we, now that we're more right-sized in our current house. We avoided spending money on an addition that would have made that house simply too big for what we needed because here we are, four years later, and my wife and I are essentially empty nesters with our daughter now in college, living in the dorm. So, everything has found a way of working out. And on that happy note, this episode of the Thumb and Hammer podcast comes to an end. I want to thank you very much for listening. If you enjoy the podcast, please leave a rating and review in your favorite podcast directory. If you want to give me some direct feedback, you can send me an email or record a voicemail at thumbandhammer.com slash contact. I also welcome any questions or suggestions that you may have related to the website or home improvement. And by the way, you can also follow me on Twitter at Thumb and Hammer. I will talk to you again soon. Cheers. <laughs>